0: Father in heaven, thank you so much that you've given us words that can teach us and that we can share with each other. Now Lord, I pray today you will give us understanding and give us a challenge based on that, that will help us to continue more and more, that we might truly believe these are the people I love. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 18, verse 1, we find this rather cryptic sentence. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. It's simple enough, right? Describing a simple act, I suppose. And probably if we're just reading the chapter, we might just blow by that and not really think about it, getting on to the next reality. We're not told here Why? Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There's no dream in the night that we know of. I mean, we've talked about this where Paul was on this missionary journey and some of the places he might have wanted to go, the Spirit said, don't go there, and instead sent him. He had a dream of the man of Macedonia. All of the leading of the Lord. But in this case, we don't have anything other than Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. No sense necessarily from the text that he had spent the night in prayer and that the Lord had impressed him to do this, though we probably shouldn't assume too much from silence, but we don't have any detail. Maybe it was that the Lord very clearly said to him, I want you to leave now and and head to Corinth. That could have happened. Or perhaps, as so often happens in my life, and maybe it's this way in your life, Perhaps Paul was fulfilling God's purpose not so much as the result of a Damascus Road intervention, but rather in the course of living and making decisions, God was directing him where He wanted him to go. And so often it happens in our own lives without our even being aware that God was leading. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're going along through your life. You're making decisions one after another. You're not sure, really, but you're, but you're praying, and you're not necessarily getting dreams in the night. You're not getting visions. No one is showing up and saying, I have a word from the Lord for you. You're just moving along, but one day you look back from where you are and you realize only the Lord could have brought me here. it's not always a dream but if we have faith and believe the Lord will get us where we need to go I'm not sure exactly what Paul was thinking when he arrived in Corinth though I can tell you one thing that he had before arriving clearly determined in his mind perhaps after his encounter with the always philosophical but rarely coming to conviction Athenians you wanna read that experience read Acts chapter 17 I don't know everything in Paul's mind but I do know this first Corinthians 2 verse 1 and so it was with me brothers and sisters when I came to you I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I don't know that this necessarily signaled a departure for Paul, as though he were saying lots of other things in other places, but it is interesting to note, this is what Paul resolved in his mind When he came to Corinth, perhaps as he was traveling overland, past Megara, across the rocky isthmus of Corinth, or maybe he went the water route as he sailed past Aegina, across the Saronic Gulf, somewhere along the way, on the way to Corinth, he said, you know what I'm going to do? When I get there, I'm going to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's particularly interesting to to think of those words in the context of his experience in Athens, which you can read about in Acts chapter 17, where he seems to have this philosophical debate of sorts with the people there. Did Paul reach his Corinthian conclusion to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, which is a pretty simple message, really, because of the lack of impact he'd experienced in Athens? I don't know. We can't know for sure about that, but what we do have is Paul's words. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Isn't it interesting when you look another place? Acts just tells us Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. But when Paul describes it, he says, I came with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and pervasive words persuasive words but with a demonstration of the spirits power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power and with this we see in Paul's words a determination that the faith of the people not be based on Paul winning some sort of intellectual duel with them But instead, that the simple telling of the gospel, accompanied by demonstrations of Holy Spirit power, Paul believed would be the most effective way to establish this church and strengthen the believers. Yet here's the thing even this approach with its focus on the Holy Spirit and power seems to have later contributed to issues that arose in the church in Corinth and to that end I just want to make this note we all have our favorite teachers we all have the voices we like to hear and that's fine but let me remind you of this fact there is no teaching of any human so good that it cannot lead us into significant heresy if we push it too far and only listen to one voice don't turn any human teacher into an idol or you will turn their righteous teaching into heresy we'll talk about more on that as we go along but first i want to connect paul's words in first corinthians to something from acts eighteen i mentioned last sabbath it's an unusual moment of revelation from God to Paul about Corinth and the people there and it's found in Acts 18 verse 9 and 10 one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision do not be afraid isn't it interesting how much fear Paul talks about with Corinth? he was afraid as he went there the Lord comes to him while he's there and says do not be afraid keep on speaking do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you Why? Because I have many people in this city. So we have no indication that it took a vision to get Paul to go to Corinth, but we have it clear enough that it took a vision to keep Paul in Corinth. Isn't that interesting? And the more you know about Corinth, the more you understand why a vision was required and why God needed to tell Paul he had many people in the city, and why such a statement might have seemed pretty far-fetched to us if we'd been walking the Corinthian streets with Paul when he was there. We'll touch on this idea somewhat today, and we'll come back to it again in the weeks ahead. But for today, I want to start with this. The Corinth of Paul's day was not the classic Corinthian city-state from the Peloponnesian War years. I don't know how well you know the history of the city-states of Greece, but between the years 431 BC and and 404 BC, there was war between these city-states. Both the Greek Corinth that fought in those wars and the Roman Corinth that existed and thrived later on, because you'll see in a moment they were quite different cities, existed in that location for the three reasons your realtor always talks about. You know what those are, right? Location, location, location. So I want to show you a satellite picture here of the Greek peninsula. You see it there, that's the northern part up at the top and then it kind of sweeps down around to the right. And Athens sits over there in that area that comes down to the right. But then there's like a bigger piece at the bottom that looks like an island. But if you look really close, you can see there's just a tiny little connection to the land there. Okay. Now let me show you a map. Corinth sat right at the point where that tiny connector opened up into the larger area. Corinth was a city that had to exist because trade routes demanded it. It was located just beyond the tiny isthmus there. Corinth, sitting in that spot, controlled all the land access between the northern cities and the southern cities. Now, the northern cities were typically dominated by Athens, and the southern cities were dominated by Sparta. But the other interesting thing about Corinth here is, if you notice on the map, You've got water access on the east side there, across the Saronic Gulf from Athens. But you've also got the Corinthian Gulf that comes in from the other side. So the city of Corinth actually had two harbors. One that sat on the Corinthian Gulf and one that sat on the Saronic Gulf. And this made it a hub for people doing business. In fact, that piece of land was so narrow that many times they actually started trying to build a canal through there, but it was pretty much impossible to do and they gave it up. But they came up with another notion. And what that other idea was, was they built a road wide enough for ships. And they would pull the ships out of the water on one side and roll them across this road and down into the water on the other side to save the time traveling all the way around the bottom you can imagine a place like that you could make a lot of money couldn't you so back to the Peloponnesian war when all of these cities were city-states the Peloponnesian league was the one dominated by Sparta went to war with the Delian league which was dominated by Athens and Corinth was with the Spartans because Corinth wanted to be the most powerful city in the region and Athens wanted to see it destroyed so they went to war and in the end the Peloponnesian League actually did defeat Athens and the Delian League but the Corinthians were particularly disgusted with the Spartans who after they conquered Athens showed mercy to the Athenians and did not completely destroy their city Athens wanted their city wiped out for some pretty selfish reasons but here's the thing have you ever wanted an enemy completely wiped out Sometimes those who are quick to call for harsh judgment find themselves the victim in the end, and so would it be for classical Corinth. Now, another word about Corinth, classical Corinth gave us some things that we still have around today. So one of those things is the Corinthian helmet. you got to love a culture that doesn't just go to war, they go to war in style. I mean, that is amazing, right? And that whole thing hung on long enough, you can find it today if you were to go to the U.S. Military Academy, and look at the crest, show the crest there. That's a Corinthian helmet. So these symbols of this other time that have hung on. There's another innovation the Corinthians were famous for, and it was the Corinthian column. It was the most decorative of all the columns that were built, and it was the longest and, and the most uh, most shapely built column. Now, you might find these somewhere if you've ever seen this building. You familiar with that building? Yeah, That's the U.S. Capitol all of those commons that sit around, columns that sit around on that rotunda are Corinthian columns. So this was a city that had a rich cultural heritage that was still in the air in the days of Paul, but the Corinth that Paul knew was not the classical Corinth. For you see, in the year 146, Corinth made the Romans mad. And the Romans laid siege to the city under the command of Lucius Mummius. I'm not making that name up, it really was laid siege of the city under the command of Lucius Mummius, and he conquered the city and treated the citizens in the manner that Corinth had wanted Athens treated. And what manner was that? Mummius killed all the men in the city. And all of the women and children he sold as slaves. We're talking 90,000 in this city. And except for a few squatters, Corinth was abandoned for 100 years. But here's the thing. A great location is a powerful inducement. And in the year 44 B.C., Julius Caesar, just shortly before he was assassinated, founded what he called Colonial Colonia Laus Iulia Corinthiensis, the colony of Corinth in honor of Julius. And everything in Corinth would boom back to life. Under Roman rule, Corinth would explode within a hundred years to become a major city of southern Greece once again. Only this time it wasn't just Greeks in the city. There were Greeks, but there were also Romans and a sizable number of Jews in this new city. They were a mixed group, mixed racially but also mixed in that roughly 60% of them were either slaves or some sort of indentured servant, and the other 40% were not. When you realize that, it will affect the way you read the letters of First and 2 Corinthians, because Paul takes time to address these issues because both slaves and free were coming into the church. Because Roman Corinth was a, was a rather new reality, it was only 100 years old when Paul showed up, There were some unusual things about it, things that apparently made it a perfect place for the gospel of Jesus to take hold. And here's a point. Sometimes the places that seem most unlikely to us turn out to be the places where the gospel takes root. One author suggests a reason. The city was young, dynamic, not hidebound by tradition and, a mix, and it was a mix of dislocated individuals without strong ethnic identities seeking to shed their former low status by achieving social honor and material success people came to Corinth to make it to get rich And this idea seems quite well corroborated in Paul's own words in his letter to the Corinthians. Listen to how Paul describes them. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. They weren't Athenians. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Isn't it ironic how God works? For so long, Corinth wanted to dominate Athens. And in unrighteousness, Corinth tried and failed ultimately to destroy their rival city. Yet God had a word for Corinth. Acts 18, verse 10, I have many people in this city. So in worldly terms, Corinth may have never dominated Athens, but here's the thing. Last time I checked there isn't any book in my Bible called Paul's letter to the Athenians is there and in that sense Athens the great city of history and of philosophy was in a spiritual sense little more than a beautifully wrapped box an empty present in terms of eternity you see, this upstart town of nobodies that had gotten destroyed completely would become the city to which more New Testament words are written than any other city. Gems like this, 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 3.19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. 1 Corinthians 8.1, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It is in 1 Corinthians that we get our description and, and what we read when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It is in 1 Corinthians that we have the best description anywhere of the spiritual gifts and how they work in our lives. And we have this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed and I completely skipped over first Corinthians 13 our theme chapter and to boot I haven't even mentioned second Corinthians yet so what I'm saying is this from the perspective of eternity The legacy of the great promises within the words of Paul to the believers in Corinth will long outshine the legacy of even the greatest philosophers and the greatest demagogues Athens ever produced. So don't worry about Athens. Because God will bless who He chooses to bless. And don't worry about your lasting impact in this world because God wants to give a legacy that goes into eternity. 1 Corinthians 13.13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Which brings us back to love and to our focus chapter And to our key text for today, 1 Corinthians 13.3, If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, the New International Version follows a somewhat different manuscript tradition in this passage than you might be used to. So let me quote it to you in the New King James. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing." We already discussed in the first message of this series that just saying the right words is not enough. We have to back those words with love or else we are just noise. And last week, we talked about how it matters not how talented or gifted we are if we cannot live with one another in this place in love, it won't be the kingdom of God that we're making great again, right? And so this week, let me add one more piece. It doesn't matter how impressive your service and your gifts look on the outside. If you don't have love, your gifts are nothing but an empty present. An empty presence never change the world. Have you ever had that most peculiar experience where you're listening to someone who has an amazing voice singing a song about Jesus, and you're impressed by the song, but somehow your heart isn't stirred? because you're not sure they actually believe what they're saying great gift but an empty present have you had the opposite experience where someone's seeing that isn't necessarily all that great but you can tell they feel it and because they feel it so strong it pulls you along and you're wiping your eyes not because they're the best singer you ever heard but because the gift is backed with love this is what giving with love means and a gift like that changes the world so since we're talking about gifts let's see if we can wrap all this up by unwrapping the meaning God has by his grace made a gift out of you and he desires to give you as a gift to the world. Don't be an empty present. You see, Paul came to Corinth Determined to preach the gospel and determined to let the people see the power of God to transform their lives and to bestow upon them the gifts of the Spirit. And based on the reading of 1 Corinthians, the Spirit came upon them in powerful ways. This is exactly what happened. But over time, something else happened too. The people started paying more attention to the outside of the box than they did to the gift inside. And before long, too many of them had transformed from being gifts from God to the world into empty presents that only brought glory to themselves. This is and must be a powerful cautionary word to us. Because let's, famous, let's, let's face it, this church is so rich in gifts. So much talent. So many chances to perform, so many people to see us being righteous, so much to gain by gaining the esteem of the crowd, but we must be careful lest in the end we are no more relevant in eternity than the ancient Corinthians who passed down some cool helmets and some columns but got themselves completely destroyed by the Romans because of their arrogance. we have a really cool church building but unless we fill it with love it's an empty present we live stream around the world every Sabbath but unless we are living out the gospel we are broadcasting we're just clanging cymbals noise in a world that already has too much noise we are filled with resources and talents but if we are not giving them to God and using them for love these resources and talents aren't our greatest blessings they will become the curses that will cause the Romans to come and destroy us God told Paul I have many people in Corinth and later Paul told those people that if they don't have love they won't be able to do God's work God builds up His kingdom on earth through His people. When His people, in love, use the gifts they've been given, God's kingdom grows. But when God's people lose their love, they may still look busy, they may still be doing stuff, but the kingdom doesn't grow. And that can be a real problem for us because the reason we are here in this place the reason the forest lake church exists in this day our purpose we are here to build the kingdom of god by living the gospel in everything we do and step one to achieving that goal is we must love one another john thirteen thirty four and thirty five a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another we can look really impressive on the outside but if we don't have love on the inside we're an empty present And so this is why I've given you two tasks the first task is to read first Corinthians 13 every day through February. How's it going? You doing any better this week? I did better this week. Had a couple glitches, but I did better this week. I'll do way better next week because Alicia's been gone all week, and, and my life gets so chaotic when she's not around. But she'll be back next week, and we're going to do a lot better. you are going to get it every day. If you haven't got it yet, keep trying. You'll get it. And the impact will be powerful on you. So 1 Corinthians 13, every day. It's not long but it is powerful. And then the second task that we were going to practice saying whenever we came through these doors, what were we going to say? These are the people I love. Okay, look around you. you got to look around again. It's easy to say if you don't see anybody. Let's say it again. These are the people I love. Remember, love one another isn't just a suggestion Jesus has made. John 15, 12, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. These are the people I love. All right, it's not always easy to say whether you live in Corinth or in a Popka. But the more you say it and the more you ask Jesus to help you believe it, you will find it's easier to say you will find it's easier to believe and you will actually find it's easier to do because once you start changing your thinking from suspicion and fear to love and acceptance you will find yourself acting in love God told Paul he had many people in a very unlikely place. And Paul told them that if they will love, they can't fail. I believe that's true for us as well. So, let's not be empty presents. When we're opened up, let's be full of love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, teach us to love. May we hear these words and believe these words. And may we speak the words honestly from our hearts that these are the people I love. The rewards for love are great. Help us to be loving people. In Jesus' name, amen.